Last week, we talked about uh, how we are to speak. Um, we were in 1 Thessalonians looking at how Paul kind of gave his uh, blueprint or outline of, of what he did with the gospel, how he um, treated his audience, how he communicated and said that's something we can apply to ourselves, that we're to share uh, faithfully, honestly, and lovingly. Uh, we don't water down the gospel. We don't uh, share it in anger, right? We shouldn't be mad at someone that we're trying to share hope and a joy and eternal life with. It's not something that we use to judge someone. We're offering them life, living water. Um, and so how should we speak? Today is kind of the, uh, since it is the last in the series, it's the why do we keep going, right? Um, how do we motivate ourselves? What do we uh, put our trust in, our hope in um, to continue in the mission and message of Jesus? We're going to be in 2 Corinthians 4. Uh, it's the same, actually the whole chapter. Um, this is what our call to worship was from this morning. Um, many of you weren't in here for the call to worship, so that's great. We can revisit that passage and uh, you'll hear that um, and what Paul is using um, for the church at Corinth this time to encourage them. Uh, Gospel-shaped outreach, is, it's a lifelong mission. It's a lifelong calling. Sometimes we don't see any fruit, as we've already mentioned this morning, um, we may unknowingly, though, be just one link in a chain um, that God is using to introduce somebody to eternal life, right, or to, to draw someone to faith uh, throughout a person's life. We might just intersect with them for a time, uh, get to share and encourage them. We may not get to see them come to faith, um, but somewhere down the road, they may come to faith in Jesus, and we were just a part of that. Uh, we don't know. Um, we're just to be faithful, right? We leave the product up to God. Um, and so this morning is, is that idea, what do we focus on, what do we think about, what do we stand on in order to keep going when it can be tempting to grow weary, frustrated, discouraged, etc. So let's turn to Paul's encouragement once again in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, starting in verse 1. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart, but we have renounced disgraceful underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word, but by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always caring in the body of the, the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke, we also believe and so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. 
so we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen, for the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are seen, uh, that are unseen, are eternal. The first thing that I want to point us to um, from this passage and to encourage us with uh, why we keep going in the message and mission of Jesus. We keep going because it is God who works in unbelievers. It is God who works in unbelievers. We say this all the time, that people are saved when they believe in Jesus by faith. Jesus himself described salvation as being born again. Nicodemus came to him and said, Teacher, what must I do uh, to inherit the kingdom of God? What must I do to be saved? And Jesus said, You must be born again. It's a picture of babies being brought into the world through the work of others, right? It's no work of their own that brings them into the world. So too are believers given new life. It's the Holy Spirit of God who brings spiritual life, regenerating the heart of a person who believes on Christ for salvation. Here in 2 Corinthians 4, uh, verse 6, Paul recalls God speaking light into existence at creation, and he likens it to salvation because becoming alive in Christ is like a light that God shines in our hearts. We don't flip that switch. Neither the person who shares the good news nor the person who believes the good news are the ones flipping that switch. God does. God removes the scales from our spiritual eyes. His Spirit illuminates His Word and turns our hearts of stone to hearts of flesh, meaning we can't do anything to make ourselves alive in Jesus. It is God and God alone who makes us new creations. The Bible tells us this, that if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. We don't recreate ourselves as much as the world may tell you, right? You need to rebrand, recreate yourself, and start fresh like a phoenix rising from the ashes, like it's up to you to decide and choose your destiny. It's all garbage, right? That's not what Scripture tells us. If we are new creations, though, we must have a creator, Right? Our Creator decides our purpose and molds us, makes us according to His will and for His glory. The Bible even uses the picture of clay. We are clay in the hands of a potter, God the potter. We see this in Isaiah, we see it in Jeremiah, we see Paul and Romans using this picture to point out our total inability, our total lack of authority in our purpose as new creations. How we will be used what we'll be made into is what God wants us to be. The clay is at the mercy of the potter, just as we are at the mercy of God to make us into something new. Growing up, my Grammy had a candle holder um, like this one. I think we have a picture of it. Michelle, should be the next slide. Um, and I only knew it as a candle holder. I just thought, oh, that's just the place where you put a candle um, for like all of my life. It was like today I learned uh, as an adult, as a grown-up, someone told me, uh, that's six ashtrays, um, not, did not start as a candle holder. Um, this one pictured maybe a little different because it looks like the bottom's a little smaller, but uh, it's just four ashtrays stuck together and then two making the base, and uh, uh, that's what it used to be, but now it holds a candle. And I didn't know that. Uh, I always thought it was a candle holder, right? That's all I knew it to be. But someone along the way decided that these ashtrays needed to be repurposed, made into something new. What once was meant to hold dirty, stinky ash, soot, 
basically a holding area for garbage, became a piece of decor. Now, you may still think it's a funky-looking piece of decor, but the intent of the creator was that it was changing something from like gross to something beautiful, something that would hold a candle, which would give off light, uh, maybe a pleasant aroma. This is the story of every person who has been made alive in Jesus. We once were dead in our sin, powerless to obey Jesus or bring him glory. In a sense, we were spiritually dirty and smelled terrible, gave off the odor of death, but God repurposed us for himself. You can switch the slide back, Michelle, to the um, message thing. Of no power of our own, right? God did this in us. And now, as believers in Christ, we carry the light of Jesus. And the Bible actually says we also give off the fragrance of the gospel to those around us, a fragrant aroma to Jesus, to God, but it is the smell of death to those who are perishing, right? It's this news of the reality of God in our lives. But it's all because our Creator did a work in us. And maybe just side note, maybe spiritually you feel like an ashtray, right? You feel like that's all I've been my whole life is just um, dirty and full of kind of like soot or ash, um, just a place filled with emotional garbage, but God wants to make something beautiful out of that, right? God can repurpose that. Um, and maybe people knew you before and they look at you now and say, I knew you when you were that before, right? I knew what you used to be, uh, and now I see a difference. And it's crazy to see the difference. Paul had this reputation going around, but right when he was converted to say, Paul, we, we know Paul. He was a terrible, murderous terrorist, basically, striking fear into the law, into the... Um, hearts of those who believe in Jesus, terrorizing them, brutalizing them, murdering them, and yet Jesus repurposed him. What once was known for, for death and destruction and basically terror uh, became this messenger of grace and hope and life in Christ. So maybe people only know you as that candle holder, and they have no idea what you used to be, but you know. And God knows, and he made you something new. Anyway, so if, if, God, if it's God who makes people spiritually alive, then why do we need to share, right? If there's such an emphasis on it's not our power in sharing, it's not even our power when, when we trust in Jesus, we don't save ourselves, um, then why are we the ones sharing? Uh, because the Bible says that even though it's God who makes things grow, it's us, his people, his church, who plant the gospel seed and water the gospel in others. This is our role, to plant and to water. This idea of evangelism, witnessing, sharing the good news, and discipleship, teaching people to obey what Jesus has commanded. We don't grow anyone in the gospel. Um, we don't cause the growth. We don't increase anyone's faith. We don't give spiritual life. We share, we nurture, we point people to Jesus and his word. In other words, we share because God has chosen us as the tools in his process in making people spiritually alive. Scripture says people cannot be saved if they don't believe, they can't believe if they don't hear, and they can't hear unless someone shares the gospel. We, believers in Jesus, carry the hope of the gospel 
and share the truth and love of Jesus with those who are far from God and need to be brought near by his spirit. Scripture also tells us of itself that it never returns void, meaning the word of God works in others when we proclaim it. We proclaim the truth of Scripture, and God promises that his word works in others. This is all amazing and humbling, and this is what we need to remember when we don't see people responding to the gospel or when we wonder if anything is happening in their hearts. We may share and share and share and grow weary, tired, discouraged, frustrated because we don't see response. And we may never know and we may never see the internal work. In fact, we don't ever get to see the internal work, right? Hopefully we get to see the fruit of what God has done internally. But no one sees the internal transformation. God does that work. When someone is brought out of darkness and into his marvelous light, God does that. But God is on mission. Remember that. How dare we throw in the towel on our part in God's mission work? He doesn't tire or give up. He's not finished transforming lives. He's holding the universe together and still drawing people to himself. And he's invited us into that process as the messengers of hope and salvation. And so we keep going because God still works in unbelievers. We also keep going because God works through our weakness. We keep going because God works through our weakness. Verses 7 through 15 liken us to extend that potter and clay metaphor. Paul uses it kind of here again and says that we have this treasure in jars of clay. Now, this is a picture of weak vessels, jars of clay. But the passage says that we are weak vessels that house a beautiful treasure. Kind of like the ashtray to candle holder illustration. If, if that was about purpose, from garbage to glory, this picture is about power. Paul is saying that in our weakness, God proves himself strong. He mirrors this idea in 1 Timothy 1 when he calls himself the worst sinner in all the world, but says that God worked in him, Paul, the worst of sinners, so that he could display his ultimate patience and power in saving him. In 2 Corinthians 12, 9-11, Paul explicitly states that God said to him, said to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. So Paul could then say, when he is weak, he is strong. Why? Well, back here in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, as we are physically, emotionally beaten down, dying either figuratively or literally, as was the case for many in the world, especially back then, under severe persecution, while that is happening, Jesus' life is on display. As we suffer in faith, we respond like Jesus, and we become more like him, displaying him to the world. So this is why Paul could say, when I am weak, I am strong. He is strong. This is God's grace at work in us. We enjoy his grace as we press into him, and we extend his grace when we show and share with others his life and work in our lives to overcome our weaknesses. Paul tells us here in this passage that as the grace of God is extended more and more, then worship and thanksgiving increases, right? This is the goal of mission, that people would come to know Jesus and glorify God. Paul says as grace extends more and more, then thanksgiving increases, worship, praise increases. And so we're a part of this extending God's grace, pointing people to God's grace. We don't bestow grace upon others. 
Uh, again, we don't save people, but we point people. When we say extend the grace of God, we're showing them the love and grace that God has shown us and telling them of the gospel, the power of the gospel. Our salvation, as we already mentioned, is dependent solely on the work of God in us. So why should our witness be any different? If our salvation is solely up to the power of God and the work of God in us, we don't do anything to contribute to that, then our witness is the same, and we should remember that. Why are we tempted to give up on the mission God has called us to? It's because we feel weak or unworthy or incapable. This is exactly where God wants us. He wants us to feel weak, worthy, and incapable, but not to the point that we quit, the point that we move forward with a message and say, it's not me, I, I haven't done this. Uh, this is the power of God in me, the power of Christ in me, so that others can be saved too. Our witness, our story, our testimony is not, look at what I've done, look how I turned my life around, look how I picked myself up by my bootstraps, reinvented myself, made a way for myself. No, our story is there, but for the grace of God go I. I was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. I was dead, but now I'm alive. And none of it was because of anything that I did. And now that I'm alive in Christ, it is still He who works in me. So the weaker I am, the more help I need, the more I get out of the way, the more Jesus comes through and displays His grace and power. That shouldn't keep us from sharing, oh, I have, I'm weak, I have nothing to offer. Exactly. And look what God wants to do through you so that when you share your story of salvation, someone can look at you and say, man, you, you're pretty bad off. I'm, I'm better than you are. But God can save you. He can certainly save me. That's God working through our weakness to show himself powerful and faithful to save. If we carry the message of the gospel around like, hey, this is what I did and I earned it and I deserve it, then that's not the message of grace. That's self-righteousness. That's pride. That will push people further away from God because then they'll think, oh, I can do that for myself too. If you were able to save yourself and clean yourself up, then maybe I could clean myself up too. No, our message is I couldn't do anything to save myself. I had to throw myself on the mercy and grace of Jesus. That's the only way that anyone can be saved. That's the truth that they need to hear. I don't know if you followed the, the stories out of Asbury University in Wilmore, Kentucky over the last month or so, what God has done there and which has spread to other colleges, universities, and probably around the world at this point. But what started as a quote-unquote routine chapel service turned into a weeks-long movement, revival, outpouring, whatever word you want to use on it. Worship, prayer, confession, repentance. And I've heard a couple of firsthand accounts of people who uh, were there or went there um, to see what was going on. And one was even a local pastor here uh, in northwest Houston area, in the spring area, um, he didn't go just as a spiritual tourist. He's actually on the board of trustees for the seminary at Asbury. And so he went, he and his 15-year-old son, I believe, went to go and just experience it, to see it uh, firsthand. And one of the most remarkable things about the whole ordeal is how unremarkable the circumstances were that led to this amazing event. The whole thing came on the heels of a 
non-produced, non-professional, like student-led chapel service. Um, there was a you know assistant soccer coach um, guy who who serves in ministry, former pastor who delivered the message. It wasn't like they brought in some big name for a revival service. He didn't shout the people down. He didn't take them on this emotional. Um, you know, event, this emotional high to, to, to manipulate them at all. He delivered um, a pretty standard, unremarkable sermon. In fact, he thought he had bombed. He got off the stage and texted his wife. I don't know why I'm crying. He texted his wife, latest stinker, be home soon. I think I'm crying because I, I resonate with that. Um, he thought he'd, he told another interviewer, he said, I totally whiffed. I thought I totally whiffed on this message uh, after he finished. But God wasn't finished. The Spirit of God moved in the hearts. And it wasn't the whole crowd. A lot of the people left. There were about 18 students who stayed around. And he gave a very simple response invitation. He was just like, uh, and prayed, you know, Jesus, let there be fruit in, the, in these people. Let us see the fruit of your work in them uh, as they respond to you. And then just kind of stepped off. The students came in and, and led a song. And then this special outpouring visited these students who were pressing into the love of God. And the Lord blessed that. And he continued to bless that. And it became, of course, this huge worldwide spectacle, people, thousands of people coming to see and try to take part in this. Uh, from what I understand, the leadership there did the best they could to, uh, to protect from, um, from turning it into a spectacle. From, they, they refused all these big names who offered to come and preach or lead worship. And they said, no, 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 our students are going to continue to run this. Um, they started to send people in to pray for students as God would move them, um, to encourage them. Um, and, and so they, they kept it student-led. They kept it low-key. This was all done without um, smoke machines. They never even dimmed the lights. I mean, it was just lights on, come and pray, come and move. Um, again, imperfect music leading, um, but the Spirit of God was working in these people, doing amazing things. Why? So that he would get the glory and no man could boast about it. If there was some huge outpouring or revival-looking type of event and the chapel speaker had been some big name who was super polished and had this crazy delivery or whatever it was, there was, could be some people who pointed to that and say, well, yeah, look at how he delivered the Word of God or look how, uh, amazing, how he took them on this journey and led them up to the precipice of the glory of Jesus. And no, I mean, just a, a faithful man stood there, proclaimed the Word of God, prayed that God would use that and stepped off the stage and got out of the way. And when he got out of the way, Jesus moved in this place. 1 Corinthians 1, 27 through 29 says, God shows what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God shows what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God shows what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. So we keep going in our efforts to share the good news of Jesus because God uses our weakness to display his grace and power to save.
And lastly, we keep going because God will bring us to eternal glory. God will bring us to eternal glory. Here in 2 Corinthians 4, we read that we're to not lose heart or give up because God is preparing for us an eternal glory through suffering, through trial. And yet while this eternal glory is very real and is assured, it is unseen. We can't yet see the eternal things that are promised to us. This is why this encouragement is here. Paul knows that we're tempted and discouraged by the things we can see, the very real, immediate circumstances of our lives, the brokenness, the darkness, the weakness that threatens us and is all around us. These are the influences that we are to look past because they're temporary. Note, Paul doesn't say that they're fake or made up or just in our heads. He's saying they, they're very real. They are very real circumstances. They are, um, they are hurtful. They, they, they damage us. But as our lives have been secured in Christ and sealed by the Holy Spirit, we're to elevate our sights and fix our hope on the things that are unseen, not the things that we see. The things that are eternal, things that will outlast the things of this world, whether shiny or scary, right? We're tempted by both. We sometimes settle for the offerings of this world, and we sometimes want to give up because of the world's threats. But the deciding factor in our lives shouldn't be either one of those. It should be the promised eternal glory that Jesus has secured for us and is preparing for us. A friend of mine from college named Jason was a helicopter pilot in the Army for several years. Uh, I heard him talk about uh, flight school or boot camp, I don't remember which it was, um, this really intense training he had to go through, and this was after he had left the service. The kind of stuff they're not really supposed to talk about, you know, to let people know what's going to happen. Um, that's kind of how the sausage is made type of stuff. Uh, but one of the things that he had to go through was basically like a, like a prisoner of war type training where they were put in these wooden boxes, and they couldn't sit, they couldn't lay down, but they couldn't stand comfortably either. And he's a really tall guy, and they did, it's not like they say, we'll give you a taller box since you're... 6'4". And so he's crammed in this box, and it's, you know, they force them to stay awake, and they're not feeding them. It's just this really excruciating experience. And it was not only physically, but psychologically and emotionally exhausting. And I remember him retelling it and how horrible it was, but he was able to kind of mentally push through because he knew deep down at the end of the day that this was a test. This only works in the training portion, right? You might have to find something different to cling to if this actually were to happen in him um, in warfare. But as part of his training, he was clinging to the fact that I don't know when, uh, I don't know exactly when it's going to happen, but I know I'm going to be let out of this thing. I know that there's something waiting for me at the end of this. There's relief coming. And so he just was like, that's all I could kind of pin my hope to was the fact that they're going to let me out of this box because it was terrible, excruciating. Again, it's trying to break them down. But he was able to press on in the face of these circumstances because he fixed his hope on the promised relief that was coming. This is what Paul is pointing us to in 2 Corinthians. There's a promised reward on the other side of all of this. We don't know when it's coming. We don't know how bad things will get until that day. But we know it's coming and that is what we're to focus on. We're to pin our hopes to this eternal glory that God is preparing for us. 
As his children, we are heirs to the kingdom of heaven. We're co-heirs with Christ to the eternal glory and riches that are found in him alone. No threat or reward this side of heaven can even come close to competing with what awaits us. And yet, we're too easily satisfied or deterred. This is not what God has called us to. This is not why God has made us new. He's repurposed us. He's commissioned us to make him known to point others to the grace and new life we've received in Jesus so that he can work in unbelievers and work through our weaknesses as we press on toward the glory he's preparing for us. This is what keeps us going and keeps us from losing heart with the message and mission of gospel-shaped outreach. Let's pray. God, thank you uh, yet again for your word how you tell us time and time again that you, you uh, look at the heart, you don't look at the outward appearance, that you want us to focus on the eternal, not the temporary, that you work through our weakness. And God, we forget or ignore that truth all the time. We think, how could God use me? I have nothing to offer. And your word, your spirit are, are whispering, are shouting at us, That's exactly where we want you. You have nothing to offer, and that is why you, God, can show off your grace and your power in us. So God, don't let us try to throw in the towel or give up on what you have called us to do, the mission that you've called us to, to faithfully proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ to those who are far from you. We don't get to decide who who hears it. We don't get to decide who believes it. We don't get to work in others to, uh, to bring them new life. That's all you. We don't get to boast in our part of the process. We don't get to clock out. God, you've equipped us. Continue to equip us. You've given us your spirit to embolden us. Continue to embolden us find us faithful and obedient to share the gospel of Jesus Christ, that others might come to know you, that as grace is extended more and more, thanksgiving might increase more and more. Thank you for inviting us into the process. Thank you for flipping that switch in our hearts that we could never flip, that your light has shown in us. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.